Hello, Grace family. It's so good to continue to be able to gather in this electronic way during this season. We're glad you're still with us. And yet we also know that there are many who are experiencing weariness and tiredness and maybe even carrying a heavy burden um, laden by the weight of the world. But I just want to say that we serve a God, a God of rest, a God who wants to invite us into true restoration, not just an empty relief, but a restoration that brings renewal and restores our souls. So as we come in worship, we have the opportunity to engage this guy, God who wants to give us rest. So I encourage you now as we pray to just invite him to even through our worship and our study of his word to bring rest to our souls. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that we are able to come to you, that you see us and you know our burdens. You know the things that are causing us to be weary and tired. You know the things that weigh on us. And yet, God, we thank you that you are a God who truly wants to offer us rest, that you want to bring restoration to our hearts. And you're truly just bidding us to come. So even now, in this time, we come to you, Lord. We come and we offer ourselves and we ask that you would renew our hearts that you would speak to us in a way that provides rest. Uh, Lord, in our worship and in our time in your word, would you move in us to find you and to find this rest, rest that you offer us. We pray this in your name. Amen.
So we've been looking at these kingdom parables and these pictures of life in the kingdom. And so today we'll be looking at parables in Matthew 13, which includes the parable of the mustard seed. So join along with me in Matthew 13. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who... The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, Yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. Jesus spoke all of these things to the crowds in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin in all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. And this is the word of the Lord. So we are in the middle of Matthew 13, where Jesus is laying, laying out his kingdom parables. And these are their stories, images, metaphors, all inviting us into kingdom life and especially sharing with us how the kingdom is coming into this world, how it works in this world. And today we have three parables, and I'll be focusing almost entirely on the parable of the mustard seed. I'll bring in the other ones as we go. So we have this simple image today of a mustard seed. And most of us know that if you were to see a mustard seed in your hand, you would look at it and it'd be something that would be small. It would look vulnerable, weak, unimpressive, right? Humble. And yet we know that little seed packs a punch. That if it is planted in soil over time, it can grow to be this flourishing plant. Jesus says one of the biggest plants of the garden plants in first century Palestine. And as such, it is this beautiful metaphor for the kingdom and how it comes into this world. It comes in ways that seem small and unassuming and underwhelming and unimpressive. And yet there's a power, 
of transformation that it brings over time, it can grow into this thing that is truly extraordinary. So I want to talk about that today. Jesus is really sharing this metaphor to share with us how the kingdom was coming into the world in his day. And um, this is so familiar to us now, 2,000 years of hindsight, but you have to appreciate just how extraordinary this is, the way that God has chosen to bring his kingdom into the world. So you got to remember what everyone's expectation was in the first century. Every Jewish person's expectation was that one day God's kingdom would come, and when it came, it would come front-loaded with power. It would come with force and with power. God would come in this decisive once-for-all moment that they knew as the day of the Lord. God would show up in the person of his Messiah, his anointed king, and he would do battle with the kingdoms of the world. He would defeat the kingdoms of the world, and he would root out evil, and he would root out evildoers from his kingdom, and he would establish his kingdom. His king would sit on the throne reigning, and there would be righteousness and peace from that time forward. And in the first century, everybody thought about that story in terms of Rome and the Roman occupation. It was waiting for a Messiah who would come and overthrow the Romans and usher in this age of peace and flourishing for Israel. Everyone expected that. The prophets, certainly the first century people, certainly Jesus' disciples. And so Jesus in this parable is saying, hey, I know what your expectation is, but that is not how the kingdom of God is coming into this world. And as you watch his ministry, it's very clear that that's not how God's kingdom is coming into this world. It comes and it starts with these very humble beginnings with this little child born in a manger to this poor mother and father who are just engaged at the time. And then this boy who grows up in this podunk town called Nazareth, and then who begins to gather these ragtag group of followers, fishermen, tax collectors, just kind of these nobodies gathering them into fellowship with him. And he's spending his time up in these little villages in Galilee, preaching, teaching, doing his thing. Uh, But he's doing nothing about Rome. He's spending almost no time in the capital city in Jerusalem where every king should be. And so it's not what anyone expected. Even people like John the Baptist who are filled with the spirit at birth. John the Baptist from prison is watching Jesus' ministry. And he sends his disciples to Jesus say, hey, are you the one? Like, Jesus, what's going on up there? You know, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And of course, we know how the story goes on. Jesus finally does go to Jerusalem at the end of his ministry, but not to establish his throne. But he goes to die on a cross, to suffer as a criminal and to die And then three days later, he's raised from the dead and he returns to heaven and he entrusts this message of the kingdom to his disciples until he returns. And now he's been gone for 2,000 years. And I promise you, no first century disciple would have ever believed that that would be what would happen. I mean, if you were to ask Matthew who wrote this or, or Luke or Paul or Peter, any of them, there's no way they would have thought 2,000 years could pass before Jesus returns. And so here we are. (laughs) But this is the way that the kingdom of God is coming into the world. It is coming like a mustard seed. This slow, long, gradual growth so that even today uh, we are still a part of this and we're still waiting for the kingdom to come in its fulfillment. And to even complicate the matters, let's bring in the parable of the weeds into this story, right? 
the story is not just that the kingdom is slow and growing, but you look at the parable of the weeds, it's this, the kingdom is not the only kingdom that's growing out there, right? There's a sower who sows good seed, but then overnight an enemy comes and he sows bad seed into the field. And the workers ask, you know, the sower, who did this? And he says, an enemy did this. And Jesus goes on to say that the good seed are people in this world who are giving their lives over to God's kingdom, surrendering to God's kingdom and letting it do its work in their lives. But the bad seed refers to people who uh, live their lives in opposition to the kingdom or with total disregard for the kingdom or they just don't care about the kingdom. These two things are happening at the same time. And what makes it extra complicated is it's all happening in the same field, right? It's not like there's a field over here where all the good seed is flourishing. There's a field over here where all the bad seed is flourishing. No, it's all mixed together, just like weeds are mixed in with plants in a, in a garden. It's complicated, right? It's, it's a set of kingdoms that is intermixed in every way. This is happening within the same cities, within the same churches, within the same families even, growing up together. <laughs> And uh, what further complicates is that you can't always tell them apart. It's not obvious which one is which. And that's part of the point of the parable of the weeds as well. The workers say, should we, should we pull up the weeds right now, right? And the sower says, no, don't, because you, you might accidentally pull up some of the good wheat instead. And as a guy who's tried his hand at gardening, I know <laughs> what it's like to do this. I know what it's like to start weeding when it's too soon. I've, I've planted certain plants and then started weeding right away. And I'll be going through my garden weeding. And all of a sudden I look up and my sugar snap peas, I've just pulled them right up. And I've totally lost the crop. I got to replant it. And so you can't, you can't always tell what's going on. So you have to let them grow up together into maturity. And then at the harvest, Jesus says, that's when it will become clear. And that's where the division will take place. And it'll all be clear. Until then, we wait until the end. But there will, Jesus says in the parable of the weeds, there will be a day of reckoning. There will be a harvest, what he describes in this passage as the end of the age, and all will be brought to light, and all will be made right when the king returns. That day is coming. It is inevitable. But in the meantime, the kingdom grows in this slow way, and it grows right in the midst of all these other kingdoms of, of the world growing as well. So here we are, 2021, right? 2,000 years later, and we find ourselves caught in the conflict of these kingdoms, right? We, we get to see God's kingdom at work in our lives and around us in some beautiful ways, but we also see so much darkness, so, much, so many challenges, so much evidence that the kingdoms of the earth are still so strong. And I think for many of us, especially this last year, many of us, if we're honest, um, we've grown discouraged, We've grown impatient at what's what, with what's happening. We're discouraged as we look at the world around us. We're discouraged as we look out at our nation and what's happening in our nation. We, we're discouraged by what we see in society in general. And maybe we're even discouraged with what we see in the church or what we see in other Christians and the ways that they're responding. But there's, we're discouraged as we look out at the world as it is today. And uh, if any of us have any self-awareness, we're probably also discouraged as we look inside our own lives, right? We, we look at stuff that is so unfinished in our lives, that is still so broken, even after many years. And many of us have been following Jesus for 10, 20, 50 years, some of us, right? And yet, even after all that time, we look inside and we can say, man, I'm still, I still feel so distant from the hope of who 
I want to be. Even this week for me, I was I'm struggling with some anxieties in my life. And I was reflecting on them and I was like, these are the same anxieties I had 20 years ago. 20 years of trying to follow Jesus, imperfectly, but certainly trying. And yet here these issues are that have been here for 20, maybe 30 years, they're still popping up in my life. And it's easy to be discouraged. It's easy not to live as hopeful people in the midst of ourselves, the midst of this world that we live in. But of course, Jesus' point in these parables is not to discourage us, but it's actually to encourage us. And that's the whole point of the parable of the mustard seed. It's not just the smallness of its beginnings, but the inevitability of its growth. Yes, it starts small, but there is power in it. And over time, it brings the transformation it wants to bring in its way and its time. And so I want to encourage us with this parable of the kingdom of God. So um, I once heard Tim Keller in a sermon say something that was really helpful about the kingdom in conjunction with this mustard seed parable. And it's that the kingdom possesses a certain kind of power. It's the power of a seed, not the power of a boulder. Okay, so the image he's trying, let me paint the image he's trying to paint. Imagine if you and me, you and me were sitting in a field, standing in a field together, just of, of dirt. And we had a seed and we had a really big boulder. And let's say we, we had superhuman strength. We could throw this boulder as far as we wanted. So if I were to just toss this boulder out into the field, like 50 yards out into the field, and then if I was to toss the seed out into the field and ask the question, which one would make a greater impact? Your answer would probably, well, depends. It would make a different kind of impact, right? The boulder would have this really big initial impact, right? I mean, that boulder would crush the ground, it would move earth, and it'd be instant. It would happen in a moment, uh, it would happen quickly, you'd, you'd see it, you might even feel it hit the ground, but the change would be purely external, right? In that sense, it'd be purely superficial change. If I threw out the seed, apparently nothing would happen for even days, even weeks. You would just look and it looks like nothing had happened. But of course, what would be happening is something would be happening in the soil over time. And then you'd begin to see that what was happening underneath pop up and a plant would begin to emerge, right? And it would grow and then it would bear seeds and they would bear seeds. And over years, the entire field would be fundamentally transformed in a way, of course, that could never be transformed by the boulder. It's a slower impact, but it's not a superficial impact. It is a it, is a, it revolutionizes the, the soil from the inside out. Here's how Keller himself puts it. When the boulder comes to hit the ground, it smashes the ground, but the seed comes in very quietly. The boulder transforms the ground and revolutionizes it externally, but the seed revolutionizes it internally. And that's the thing about God's kingdom, right? God's kingdom doesn't come with boulder force because the goal of his kingdom is not to dominate. It's not to revolutionize externally, right? Jesus, who is the king of this kingdom, he's not just looking for subjects. <laughs> he's looking for disciples, right? He's, he's, he's looking to reproduce his life in other people. And he's not just looking to change the circumstances of our lives. He's looking to change us, <laughs> Well, reproducing his life, changing us, that is slow work. That is not quick 
and easy and fast work. That is slow and gradual work. And so the kingdom comes not with boulder power, but with seed power. The kingdom comes through not weapons, not through militaries, right? It comes through truth planted in the human heart and mind that can bear fruit over time. The kingdom comes through these postures of humility and service and repentance and forgiveness. It revolutionizes us from the inside out. And so it takes place in the quiet, unassuming, (laughs) underwhelming ways, but that are also subversive and ultimately deeply transformative over time. And so when we think about if that's how the kingdom works, and here's the the thing I really want to say to you today, then what does it mean to be faithful kingdom people? Well, then it means this. To be faithful kingdom people means to submit ourselves to this slow, gradual, unassuming, but transformative work over time. It's to live a life of day-to-day surrender to the Lord in the mundane, in the ordinary, in the daily moments and tasks and events of our lives. To quote Eugene Peterson, it means to live a long obedience in the same direction. It's to let the seed do its work over time. And that's not to say that our spiritual lives won't have um, bolder moments, if I can call them that, right? We we know that sometimes they do. Sometimes we have these life-changing insights that just hit us and really impact how we're thinking about the world. We all have probably had these, what we call these mountaintop spiritual experiences, right? That can supercharge our spiritual lives and and make a really big impact. Um, Sometimes a circumstance will come into our lives and really change the direction of our spiritual lives. So that's not to say we don't have bolder moments in our spiritual lives, but the bulk of our relationship with God is not in these flashy, quick, impactful moments, but it is in the quiet and steady growth of the mustard seed and these simple moments of trust, of repentance, of surrender, of obedience over time. That is what the spiritual life is all about. To use a baseball analogy, the spiritual life is not about always swinging to hit the home run, right? It's about hitting singles day after day, week after week, until something truly transformative has happened because that's how the kingdom tends to come in our lives. Now, the challenge of this, and I think this will be really obvious, is uh, we don't live uh, in a seed culture, do we? (laughs) We live in in a bolder culture, if I can put it that way. I mean, we live in an instant society that, has this mentality that, that bigger is better and faster is better. And we, have, we live in a society that kind of has a flair for the dramatic, if I can put it that way. I mean, just think about what we're inundated with every day. We live in a technological culture where communication is instantaneous, where travel is almost instantaneous. We can, we can move and communicate so quickly. We don't have to do it slowly anymore. Uh, we live in a consumer culture where the message is, if you have a problem, um, here's a product that you can buy and your problem can be changed overnight, right? And these products are what I would call front-loaded with satisfaction, right? They're not delayed satisfaction. You, you get them right away. Uh, we live in an entertainment culture where we can put ourselves in front of these really big screens, even in our homes now with surround sound and, and subject ourselves to this 
this visual narrative experience that is really compelling and overwhelming. I mean, it's loud, it's big, it's, it's emotional, it's amazing. Uh, we live in a digital culture where every click we make on a screen, what comes up is designed. It is designed for instant impact, right? It's designed to give us that hit of, uh, uh, that rush of adrenaline the moment we see it. That's why it's been created. And then we live in this celebrity culture where we see these stories of people moving from obscurity to fame overnight, right? We, we live in a bolder culture. And unfortunately, the church, I think, over the last half century has adopted the bolder culture of, of the larger society. And now we have celebrity pastors and, and celebrity bloggers and podcasters. And we have created these worship uh, experiences that are these pretty overwhelming audio-visual experiences. They can be really emotional, compelling, and just amazing. Uh, we have sermons that give us the, the three steps to life change. And um, we have just this underlying assumption in churches even that, that bigger is better, that efficiency is better, that faster is better. So we don't live in a seed culture. And honestly, as a pastor, um, as I think about the work of ministry, sometimes in my moments of discouragement, I step back and I just think, um, what chance does a seed have <laughs> in today's world? I mean, really, what, what chance does a seed have in this world that we live in today? What chance does a seed of the kingdom have to really do that slow, transformative work in people's lives in the midst of the society we live in? And that can be a discouraging question. But I'm encouraged today with Jesus' metaphor, which responds to that question of what chance does it have with an answer of this, I think. It has all the chance it needs because the kingdom of God is going to do its work. That's the point of the parable. It is the inevitability of the mustard seed growing into this beautiful plant. And Jesus is encouraging us with, hey, it looks different. It looks underwhelming. It may not be what you expected, but it is powerful. And it will do what it's meant to do in the way that it's meant to do it and in the timing that it's meant to do it. And so I think the invitation for us today as we see this parable is simple. It is to trust in the slow work of God in our lives and in this world. It is to trust in the slow work of God, even in our own lives. I was thinking this week of Paul's famous line in Philippians 1. I'm confident of this, he says to the Philippians, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Right? That God started something in you and he has the power to bring it to fruition. And so that encourages me, even as this bolder culture that we live in uh, certainly threatens to distract us, to, to lose sight of, of the slow work of God's uh, kingdom in our lives. But here's the thing. For so many of us, the, the seed has been planted. And the reality is we could not uproot it even if we, if we tried. I mean, I, the, the kingdom has done work in many of our lives that simply cannot be undone, right? We couldn't go back to life before the seed was planted, even if we wanted to. The, the, the trajectory of our lives is, is inevitable because God has his hand on our lives and we've seen him work. We've come to understand his truth and there's no going back for us. We're going to fall. We're going to stumble, but we are headed in a direction and it is inevitable. And that's how God's kingdom works. And that brings me great encouragement. And so I want to encourage us to trust in that slow 
but inevitable work of the seed that's been planted in our lives. And then secondly, and this one might be harder for us, it's to trust in the slow work of God, even in the world around us. And that is to trust that even as dark as it seems sometimes, God's kingdom is doing its work in this world. Through COVID, through our nation, through other nations, through all sorts of events, God's kingdom is at work again in its way and in its timing. But that is a 100% guarantee. This mustard seed will grow and spread in this world in the ways that God wants it to. And so I want to leave us with that invitation. Trust in the slow work of God. Be strong, take heart, be encouraged, and trust in the mustard seed of God's kingdom in your life and in the world. So let's go right now to God and in prayer and actively practice this trust. So I want to leave you with that verse that I quoted from Philippians 1.6. I am confident of this. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's be encouraged with that verse. And let's right now just take this before the Lord. What I'd love for you to do is just take a moment to identify an area in your own life that feels so unfinished. Uh, a, a situation, an, an area, a, a challenge that you have in your life that you've had for a long time that maybe is an area of discouragement for you or, or, or impatience where it just feels like God, God's work is so slow in coming. Why don't you take a moment to identify that and just to bring that area again before the Lord in prayer, trusting that the mustard seed of his kingdom is at work in its slow but ultimately transforming way. And maybe there's something God has for you in that area. Maybe there's a reason why change has been so slow in that area. There's something that God is inviting you into, in, in, even in the slowness of that change. Why don't you just take a moment to bring that before God in prayer and in your own way to say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you with that area of my life. And I invite you in a fresh way to do a fresh work of renewal and healing and change in that area of my life. So take a moment to do that. now maybe there's an area, not within you, but maybe a, an area around you that is, is a cause of discouragement and maybe impatience. Maybe there's a relationship or a situation in your life or, or, or even a thing you're seeing in the world that is frustrating, that's discouraging, that you're so longing to see God change. And he just seems slow to work. Why don't you identify one thing in your life right now? 
and just bring that before the Lord. And again, take that thing and say, Lord, in a fresh way, I want to trust you with that. I want to ask you, what are you inviting me into through the slowness of this thing changing in the way I want it to change? What do you have for me, even in the unfinished business of this area? Take a moment to have that conversation with the Lord. Now let's close this time of prayer together by praying the kingdom prayer that Jesus gave us, that God would bring his kingdom, his mustard seed kingdom, into these areas of our lives and our world. Feel free to pray this out loud with me as you read it on the screen. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Well, we hope that you've been encouraged by today's time, and we invite you to consider the reflection questions we'll put on the screen. And let me leave you with this encouraging promise from the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now, and forevermore. Amen.